Welcome to the Basketball Index Podcast. I'm your host, Taylor, and today we are talking about the state of the heat. We have Giancarlo Navas joining us. He's the host and editor of the Miami Heat Beat, both the website and the podcast. Giancarlo, how are you feeling about the state of the heat? Taylor, I, I listen, Heat Twitter is on fire. Everyone's complaining. People are saying Pat Riley is once again asleep at the wheel. I am unmoved by everything this summer. <laughs> uh, I'm sure we'll get into a lot of that. Uh, the fan base is certainly not happy, which is funny because I think that, uh, you know, they're used to a certain level of excellence, especially when you have, you know, a, a, an A-plus star on your team. But I, I'm pretty chill. Most fans aren't. You ask most fans, they're... Uh, they want Andy Ellisberg and Pat Riley to be held accountable for their lack of actions. I kind of understand where they're coming from this summer. And uh, I'm generally like, they're probably going to do something around the deadline. And uh, I think it's a wait and see with me. Okay. So they were rumored to be in some big trades. There was some Durant news. There was a lot of Mitchell news. <laughs> I don't know if my favorite part. Did you see this? Uh, Tyler Hero was what most people assumed he would probably be the centerpiece of any deal with some picks, maybe some other players. And uh, when there was a lot of rumors for him him going to Utah for Mitchell, he tweeted something. He was like, uh, like why don't we just let this ride? Why don't we just see how this plays out? Because <laughs> he didn't want to get traded. That, uh, that was funny. He's, that was, I mean, I'm like, who are you kidding, dude? Well, you're, this is public. He's bad at being public. I will say that. He's yes. good at basketball. He's bad at like showing a public face. He also had that Instagram post where he yeah, quoted yeah, yeah. a rap lyric, but he did so poorly, so it made it seem like he thought Ginobili was European. Yeah, yeah. So yeah, that I was funny. That. Yeah, so we've we've had a lot of fun at Tyler's expense. Um, so they didn't make a whole lot of moves this offseason. Last offseason went surprisingly well. It was sort of best-case scenario because they brought in two players who were quite good for their careers, P.J. Tucker and Kyle Lowry, but both of them were really old. They were both in their age 36 seasons, and I can't think of a lot of times where I see teams that are trying to make that final push, trying to get back to the finals, trying to win a ring, add veterans that are that old and both of them had fantastic seasons specifically on the defensive end so I, I think a lot of that comes down to they're not asked to do a ton on offense and Miami's offense wasn't good last season I mean it was okay right it was a pretty I think they were the 11th or 12th half court ranked offense via cleaning the glass they were like a, an okay offense for the most part and those guys weren't asked to do a ton PJ you know they, they've really gone through a revolving door of stretch fours, right? Any any small ball four who can kind of park in the corner, run some dribble handoffs, right? Whether it be Ariza, Jay Crowder, Mo Harkless, uh, list goes on and on, right? They're just trying <laughs> to find that consistency. And really that four man, he's going to screen. He'll sometimes kind of roll. PJ had a great, I think more than anything, PJ surprised us and a lot of people were kind of in that in-between area off the screen and catch and short roll. The, the PJ push, as my colleague, Nikaias <laughs> Duncan dubbed it, Right, that little mid, that little mid area floater. I think his passing and decision making, nothing that's too physical on the body. I don't think they ask. And Lowry as well. Like Kyle's here to to run offense and to get Jimmy off the ball. I don't think they needed him to go to the rim a ton. Although it would have been, you know, it would have been a plus for them because they need a little bit of rim pressure. But kind of coming off screens, attacking drop, uh, playing the DHO game with Bam, getting Jimmy as a screener. He was incredibly effective. Uh, I think he was like 1.41 points per possession as a screen man, as a screener. Uh, so just like little things like that, that they were just missing. 
Uh, Dragic isn't the passer that Kyle is, uh, you know, just in general, and the pace pusher and all that. So I don't think that they were asked to do too much on offense, which let them play kind of their role on defense. And on that end, Jimmy and Bam are, you know, they're world beaters, right? You have Bam kind of switching onto either guards or wings or anything. And all those other guys have to do is just focus on kind of help, dig, recover, all that stuff. And Jimmy's flying around at the nail and everything. So I think it's actually a perfect situation for veterans that you know are pretty capable and that you can preserve them and have them in very specific limited roles to kind of thrive off those two other stars. Yeah, I think that makes sense. Um, sometimes you see older players get put into roles that don't really make sense for what their and maybe made sense for what their skill set was, but not what it is now. And I think that's a really good point. They weren't asked to do too much because they were being kind of ejected into an already pretty good team. Uh, that seems like a pretty good natural segue into BAM. Um, looking at it from uh, kind of across <laughs> across the country from the West Coast, Sam or Sam BAM feels like a really good non-elite player and he seems like he is that modern day kind of switching big he has uh an a in our on ball uh defensive metric among mobile bigs uh also an a in positional versatility so that means he switches a lot can guard a lot of different positions uh would you say that's a pretty correct assessment of his defense the only thing I'll say is that, you know, if, if we're not, if we're looking at him as a very good, not elite player, like what he, what, what you're just saying is elite on defense and what he does, he hubs a, a, a top defense in the NBA. So like, you know, what I, I would say that everything that you're saying is accurate. All the metrics are, are correct in that. And, you know, what he does from a switching standpoint, from a help standpoint, uh, not even taking into account his offense, which I'm sure we're going to get into, but. I, I think the the luxury of having a big that can really le- legitimately switch one through five. I think a lot of times in the league, we talk about guys who can do one through five. There's really not a lot of guys that can actually guard Joel Embiid and guard Steph Curry and everything in between. <laughs> and he literally does that all the time. Uh, even as a rookie, there's footage of him just harassing Steph, you know, running through and around screens and not being able to shake Bam. And I thought the, I, I thought, his performance against Embiid, and I know Embiid had the busted hand and, and obviously blah, 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 but going to single coverage and him fighting for position and pushing a guy who was much bigger than him off his spots and harassing him the way that he did, I think speaks volumes. So just honestly, one of the, I think, what, five defensive, five best defensive players in the league, right, in that in that conversation, and I think every year. Yeah, I think that makes sense. Sometimes... Uh, certain metrics he doesn't pop as much as other players that I would put in that same elite category as him and I feel like sometimes you need to dig a little bit deeper with him because we have two different types of bigs at basketball index we have the anchor big which is the you know bigger traditional go bear guy that's going to stand next to the basket most of the time right try to block shots and then you have the mobile big which there's less of in the league Uh, because they're just so hard to find. And that's Bam, a guy that can switch out on people, a guy that can hedge and recover, a guy that can do a lot of different things. And like you said, guard a lot of different players. And I feel like sometimes we, I think we're doing a better job at Basketball Index. Now you can sort by, uh, by position, by starter, by a lot more things. But I feel like people that just flash look at him uh, it's hard to sometimes quantify that versatility, uh, but it's one of those things, especially in the playoffs, when you see it, where you're like, that this guy is, like you said, capable of guarding bigs as well as switching on because the pick and roll is obviously 
the NBA playoffs is really built around that action. I think that's where the value like really uh, becomes impressive. He's a guy that when like, so I think the Philly series was a good example, you know, and obviously Harden wasn't at his best and Embiid wasn't at his best. But I do think that's a good snapshot, right? They'll run the Harden Embiid pick and roll and you can, you can drop him you can drop bam and i think guys like lowry and and, D- and oladipo do a really good job of kind of getting over pick, over screens and pick and roll letting bam kind of contain the role and still play up on the shooter enough to to kind of help contain that drive he can switch if harden becomes a problem right you know you can kind of send help which would be kind of whoever the corner man is or jimmy at the nail you kind of send help on that role and you let bam kind of switch up on the guard and you have that at all times, and he does whatever. Uh, he did talk, I think, on Zach Lowe's podcast. Sometimes he'll uh, he'll roam and he'll just he'll break the play and he'll do what he wants, uh, which I <laughs> which I think that element of randomness is also really good because it's difficult to kind of plan for that, right? So if like Miami's okay, we're gonna run this coverage or we're gonna run ice, we're gonna do blah blah blah, and Bam's just like, not ever mind, I'm breaking script. And he's such a genius that you can't. It's it's so difficult to keep all that into account and just having a. Switching is so valuable in, in the league, especially now with all the shooting and everything. The fact that you can't you you can't hide, and Miami can really put a bunch of good defensive players on the floor. You you just can't you just can't get away. You can't like create shots for your best shooters, and it's uh it it really all falls on him. So flipping to the offensive side for him, uh, he's a nice playmaking hub. I feel like out of the elbow. One of the things that is really pops is you get to see his athleticism when he's in the pick and roll, his ability to finish horizontally, like how much ground he can cover. That's something that's really popped to me. Uh, kind of help fill out the rest of the offensive game for people that don't get to see him as much. So I'll start with the good before I get to the bad, because I think that really on the offensive end is where I think most people have or take exception with Bam. I think as a as a handoff screener, passer and roller i think that's where he thrives the most where he's playing a two-man game with a shooter uh he's just phenomenal the year that miami had an incredible offense and they went to the finals uh that was pretty much predicated on a bam duncan two-man game where you have a, a you're leveraging movement and shooting and bam as not just a not just a, a pick and roll threat to score but also in the short roll to pass when guys help off which is why that that power forward spot so important because when Bam is on the roll, you you have all the attention on the movement shooters. And Miami loves to do like these empty sets where they'll empty one of the sides in the pick and roll. So they kind of force help from a specific corner. So like they'll run a bunch of screen off screen action into a handoff. And now you have defenders switching to make sure that they take that, that they tag the shooter. Now you have guys rotating in to contain the Bam roll. And he's such a high IQ guy that once he gets that roll and he sees the space, he can pick apart that, make that short roll pass to that corner where PJ, where Ariza, where Jay Crowder is, whoever. That's why that that spot's so important. But that's what Bam does offensively. And we've seen that Celtic series in the bubble. You can see what he can do as a scorer, right? You know, he'll he'll kind of decide, okay, I'm getting behind the defense. He'll slip a little earlier to kind of get a jump start on the defense because he, he's just 6'9", right? He's not... He's not a Gobert seven footer. So he's really smart at kind of timing the way he rolls. He can mix in that pass when guys overhelp, you know, in that Celtic series, that that one pass to Jimmy uh, cutting baseline is huge. Finding shooters, doing everything. He excels in that spot so, so well. He can handle, he can bring the ball up. Where there is fault is 
people take advantage of him switching. And I think the Raptors in the bubble were really the first team to I kind of saw expose that where they decided, okay, well, we're going to front, you know, we're going to, we're going to, we're going to put OG Ananobi on you, bam. We're going to switch any Duncan handoff with you. And Norm Powell is going to front you. And we're just going to, we're just going to dare you to post up or try to score on Norm Powell. And bam in isolation especially as a post player is not very good. His, his points per possession as a, as a postman are really bad. And most of those are against small guys on switches. He doesn't have that kind of like aggressive alpha gear to be like, okay, I, I always wanted him to be more of like Amari Stoudemire kind of face up at the basket, one dribble, pull up or one dribble, get to the basket with your explosive finishing all that. So that's where I think he's lacking a little bit, kind of that, that aggression, that, that, that isolation scoring, that I think sometimes you need in the playoffs when the offense slows down, when when teams are over switching and you get a small guy on you because if they, you know, you cannot let teams switch, you know, wings onto your guards because Tyler Hero can't really get separation like that. You know, you don't really want to neuter Duncan and Max Drews and force them to be off the dribble players. So I think a lot of that falls on Bam and, and Jimmy being a non-shooter also kind of shrinks the court in that sense as well. So for as good as everything that Bam does well, that kind of, uh, lack of scoring in isolation and against smaller guys is, is uh, also just as important, I think. I think that's that's kind of, for me, what stops him from being, I would say he's probably, I think pretty safely, probably like a top 35 player in the league, which is really, really good. That's but low. I, oh, I was just thinking like that. That's like a very conservative estimate. I, like, uh, what, what, I mean, he's probably somewhere in the back end of the 20s. Where, where, where would you put him? I'd probably somewhere in the top 20 I, I think when you're that like do you think do you think Gobert's better than him I think they're pretty close um I think I would rather have Gobert but I would say they're I I could under, like I think if you pulled enough people you'd have a pretty healthy split on that poll. would you rather have Bam or Mitchell I would rather have Mitchell because I think to get into that elite category of player you need to just have ISO scoring. I can't think of a lot of players historically that have been considered elite top 15 players that couldn't score in isolation. I think, Bam, well, I mean, what Bam does is he prevents isolation scoring as well, which I think is is incredible. I'm not like disagreeing with, with that just a notion. I just like, I, it may be what you value more, but uh, like, you know, Bam for Durant came up and I think it was pretty consensus. Like at least here in Miami, absolutely not. You know what I mean? Like, no. Uh, you don't want to mortgage the future for the two-year window. Yeah, I mean, obviously Kevin Durant's better, but you know the injuries. But just, I mean, Bam is is that special, and I, I mean, he's somewhere in that in that top twenty range. With you know, he's a he's a he's a mid range, a more consistent mid range jumper away from something pretty incredible. And I think we've seen the flashes of kind of what he can do with a bit of a jump shot. Uh, his free throw shooting is not horrible kind of makes me more comfortable that he'll get there uh you know I, I don't think they should force feed him a three like how people try to do with Giannis but I think he'll get there but certainly the, there is concern of kind of smaller guys guarding him and letting them get away with that I was gonna say if you're gonna go for mid-range don't be afraid to dream a little bigger darling stretch it out to the three I mean Chris Bosh it up yeah that takes time that's it I mean I see he's got time Tyler, he's not old people want to like okay, Bam has to start shooting threes tomorrow. And I was like, let's work on a 15-footer first and let's let's progress this. Because I think you just, I think a lot of times in the league, you just throw guys into the deep end and you want them to do like one thing and you kind of force that. And I don't think you allow your, I don't think you allow the development of that kind of thing to progress naturally. 
I mean, obviously, like, yeah, if you give him a pick and pop threat, like that's freaking incredible, right? And I, 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 I imagine he's working on it. I mean, these are professionals, but kind of, I think the progression from 15, because I mean, Boston just decided, okay, well, I'm going to shoot threes now, and I don't have a. He was a very good jump shooter. Kind of moved the step back. You know, it wasn't just like I'm not a great jump shooter. Now I'm going to try the harder one. You know, like you're saying that there's got to be progression. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think that's understandable. Uh, let's move to Jimmy Butler. Uh, he's the star of the team. He's an interesting player because in my mind, uh, he has been someone that has played at a very high level for a very long time. And because of his skill set, when people are theory crafting, they don't love to put him into the top 10. And I think he is. I think he's absolutely made it there, especially with this with this tenure on the heat um but i found because of what his skill set is uh in today's nba i more than any player i think i've discussed with anyone i cannot convince people no matter how well he plays he goes to a finals he goes to an eastern eastern conference finals that's two and three years i still cannot convince people that he is a top 10 player why do you think that is? I, I'll never forget. Uh, shout out to the guys at Roundball Rock. Uh, they, they do a great podcast. <laughs> and they said they had a joke once that Jimmy Butler is always exactly the 12th best player in the league. Nothing changes. <laughs> He's always the 12th. You know what I mean? And there's a little bit of truth to that, how people view him publicly. I certainly think that, that Jimmy is what you say. In that, and that's not... And it's funny because he fans know me as being kind of negative on a lot of things about the Heat. But I, I mean, Jimmy, I think what we saw in that in that in that playoff run is is what everything that you need to know an elite pick and roll scorer uh, uh, the pressure that he puts on the rim the fact that he can kind of get by guys his size and and the way that he attacks smaller switches i think it's very there's not a lot of guys taylor that you trust to kind of hunt small switches like that right it's why it's how trey young survives a playoff series you know until the conference finals without getting picked on it's how you know it's it's guys like LeBron, Kawhi, and Jimmy that are really like these kind of wing scorers that can find the smallest guy on the court and force you to to, to not play him anymore. It's happened in in the bubble and it happened in, in this playoff series as well. Uh, you know that that guy on the Celtics, uh, the Pritchard, uh, he was playing and all of a sudden he wasn't because Jimmy Butler put him <laughs> in the blender and they decided uh, we these are untenable. And that's what really really elite players do. They 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 invalidate your players. They shrink your bench. They force you to play guys longer, hard, harder minutes because that guy is going to ruin your life. And that's what Jimmy does as a shot creator. And I think when, especially, he's had a lot of wrist issues his whole career. And I'm not saying that he's a reliable jump shooter, but I do think there's something to be said about the wrist injuries and his jump shot. And when he's right, and when he can pull up and he's getting elevation, and when he has that jump shot going, not even the three, just that mid-range, it's pretty impossible with how he is able to draw fouls, get contact, play head first to the rim. Um, just a, an, an insane rebounder, like just for his size and anything, how tough he is and all that. So, you know, there's not a lot of convincing here. I just think that he just hasn't had a lot of success. And I think people look at the bubble run as fraudulent. And I know that he had the great finals performance. Um, one of the lowest rated finals in a very long time. So I don't think that that's irrelevant that maybe not enough people watch that very closely. They just like kind of see the box score and go, huh, wonder what happened there. And I think this past <laughs> playoff run as well, um, I, that this past one, I don't understand. I mean, he was pretty incredible. And I think if anything, that kind of made him Teflon. Um, I mean, it, it's arguably 
one of the three best Heat playoff runs, you know, behind, you know, Wade in 06 and LeBron. You know what I mean? So not not sure what's happening there, but I think that in the public eye, he's kind of earned a little bit more. Um, uh, he's earned a little bit more. Yeah, he is uh, perpetually underrated, uh, and I'll, I'll I'll never understand why people are unwilling to budge on him. Uh, moving on, Tyler Hero. He had uh, a gold in our microwave badge. Uh, he was a top twenty catch and shoot shot maker this le- uh, this year in the league, and he was uh, a great offensive spark for the Heat. The question is, this is his last year of his rookie deal. He's going to be a free agent. How much is he going to get paid? Is it worth it? And what are the Heat going to do with him? So a little bit of reporting on my end. I'm, I'm hearing that it's going to, he wants around four, a hunt, four years, a hundred, something around that range. It feels like a lot. Feels like a lot. I, he, I, I, I wouldn't be surprised if they give it to him from what I'm hearing. I'm sure that they'll try to get that down. Um, and it's why, like, you look at the Mitchell deal and the the number that Colin Sexton got, and I'm like, yeah, that makes more sense for a team. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, I'd rather lock in Colin Sexton at that price than Tyler at that price. Um, you know, he's obviously a good player. Uh, when he got drafted, I said, I, I, not when he got drafted, after his first year, I was like, you know, if he becomes Lou Williams, uh, I think that's a success for you, which, you know, not yeah. not a big guy, you know, not a great defender, has a lot of tricks in the bag, you know, a little step back, little floater, right? A good shooter, kind of mover around screens, all that. Um, at this point, I, I think hopefully he'll be better than Lou Williams, although Lou Williams is a really good player. Lou Williams' peak was actually pretty good there. He had a couple, two, oh, three-year yeah. stretch where he was, he was like, a, he might have been above uh, league average efficiency there for a I think years. Tyler got pretty close to those scoring figures this season, and it's only, what, his third year. So you kind of hope that he didn't peak last year and that he <laughs> that he progresses. I do think with him, my my concern. I'm not like upset. Some people are like obsessed with like him defensively, and it's like I, I would. That's fine. Like he he's just. We made the jokes when he got drafted. He has little alligator arms. He has a horrible wingspan. <laughs> he's a small guard. Those guys. I mean, if I mean, there's plenty of small guards that you know you, you live with in the playoffs because they're really good on offense. He has to be able to create more separation. And he needs to be able to attack the rim and get free throws. And, and the big difference between him and Lou Williams is Lou was able to get to the free throw line so consistently. And Tyler just doesn't pressure the rim in that way. And if you're going to give a guy a lot of money, you know, going forward and he can't pressure the rim and he can't give you free throws and he's shooting, a, he's scoring a lot of points off other stuff. I have some concern. I have some long-term concern, um, you know, Lower body injuries can really ruin the jump shot. And if you don't have much else in the bag, you know, it, it, it's, it's, it's rough for you. So I, I'm not so sure. I'm like very medium on Tyler. I'm not like super high, super low. I'm, I'm, I think he was a well-earned six man of the year. I think he's a good shooter. I think he should keep improving. I think wanting him to be an all-star is kind of unfair expectations for him as he fans uh, bang the drum and say he should try you know he should be one or whatever um but you know that's kind of where i am with him yeah um i think you're right about the rim shot creation for on ball guys at basketball index he had a d in rim shot creation which that's a little bit of an issue when you're trying to be a uh 25 mil a guy year 
or year uh, today i can't talk i don't know what's going on it's hot we were talking about this before the show it's hot in san diego it's like 88 degrees which for san diego everyone's like walking around outside in the neighborhood just like panicking uh people are talking to their neighbors that's how hot it is uh we don't we don't we we can't handle we can't handle temperature here we can't handle it getting a little cold or a little too hot all right 70 degrees no humidity every day i'm going to the beach after this podcast all right me too let's let's do it we're just We're, we're not we're not really hardy people here in San Diego. Um, moving on. Kyle Lowry. He, to me, my guy is still a good player. Right. Yeah. It's in your it's my in favorite your player. He's, uh, he's my he is my second favorite player in the history of basketball. Uh, so this that is bias. That is a hilarious second favorite player. Um, what I see out of him, I did a little tape study a few months ago. And for me, he still is an effective defensive player. I feel like he's really good at. Uh, when he gets moved off the ball, really good at communicating, really good at passing players off. And then on offense, I feel like he is uh, one of those older quarterbacks that's a chain mover, right? Like he has a high volume, high passing efficiency in the data. The the quality isn't quite what it used to be. Uh, but again, he's getting the ball. He's moving it to where it needs to go. And he is, you know, really running the offense. What do you see on a day to day? So important number is the 38 percent from three. And uh, early in the season, that number was in the toilet. And he got that up <laughs> to somewhere important and respectable. And I think a, he's not he's not beating guys around the corner in the pick and roll anymore. That's gone, right? And I, I think that some nights you get him with a little burst and you take that. You cannot depend on that. Where he's important for them is as a pick and roll passer, as a scorer against drop. And I think I think the number one reason why they lost against Boston was the fact that he wasn't right and he could not get any elevation on his jump shot. Taylor, when Boston switched to Miami, if anything was consistent, all, anything of all last year, it was Miami shredding drop defenses. And Boston went to a drop because they saw that Miami shooters did not have any lift and they were just obsessed with containing Bam. They sent uh, Rob Williams to help off of PJ in the corner. Horford drop, Bam rolling into two guys. Struess, Lowry, Tyler cannot get anything outside, no lift on the jump shot, and they were cooked. And then it was Jimmy or bust offense. The point of Kyle being here is you get a legitimate guy to come up off the screen, and if that if that guy's in a drop, Kyle's going to be able to pull up and reliably hit shots. You saw that in the last regular season matchup between Miami and Boston. <laughs> Kyle was like, bring me Al Horford. Let me put his ass in a drop. That was the game that Rob Williams did not play, and let me go to work. And the good thing about that is that if that defense steps up too high on that, Bam is going to be able to roll behind that. And if, God you forbid, you get a reliable corner shooter and Rob Williams has to think a second about helping or not, you know, now all of a sudden you have Bam with a two-on-one. And Kyle's really the one kind of kicking that, greasing that, putting it all open. When all those guys were hurt and had COVID and Tyler went into Phoenix and won that game with, it was him, Max, it was Tyler and uh, it was Kyle and a bunch of white guys, and they went in and they waxed the number one seed, and they did that Tyler for like a month and a half. They were just bl- bludgeoning everybody with just Kyle and dudes. You know what I mean? That's who he is. You know what I mean? He's still he's he is like the reason why I love him. He's like so. Zach Lowe uses the word persnickety. He's like he's like this human embodiment of like persnickety unapologetically himself he's like almost obsessed with doing the right thing but every like one out of ten times he'll misfire and he'll just come off a screen and let it rip 
You know, <laughs> he's like, he's so controlled, gets so random. He's delightful to watch. And uh, I don't think, I think he's so important. He's in, he's lost a lot of weight this year. Um, he had some personal stuff going on with him as well last year. He missed a lot of time, not because of injury. I don't think he missed a single game because of injury. He missed some time because of COVID and he missed some time because he had a, uh, he had something in his personal life that, uh, that he, he missed quite a bit of time for. Um, he did put on some weight. Uh, and I think that the, the personal family stuff had something to do with it. Um, but he's looks to be in great shape. Um, and not just being lean, but putting muscle, which I think is important for a guy that they like having guard bigger players. Like he guards Middleton, you know, he guards Jalen Brown. He always guards up, not down because they trust him in his strength and in his positioning. So I, I don't expect him to be like great score, but I expect him to at least have a better year than he did last year, which I know may sound crazy at a year 37 season at 36 season. Um, but I think that, He's that kind of player, and they don't need him to to be a scorer. Just kind of do what he's doing, keep the jump shot going, and uh, and, and kind of run their offense. Yeah, I think uh, I think he's a guy whose tools let him age well, still be an effective player. Uh, we I I wish we could keep talking. I John Carlo, I feel like I could talk to you for. I got so many more questions here in the notes, uh, but unfortunately, we're out of time. I'm gonna have to have you back on during the season. Anytime, man. Uh, You'll catch us up on the heat and uh, everything going on there. Uh, that is the state of the heat. Uh, Giancarlo, what is your Twitter handle? You can follow me at GNavas103, G-N-A-V-A-S-103. You can follow our pod at MIA Heatbeat on Twitter and Instagram. Fantastic. Uh, my name is Taylor, and we'll see you on the next episode of the Basketball Index Podcast.